Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Now you can hear me? Yes. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, I have a last name. Uh, and it is uh, Gidinji. I'm sure my other name is Warutere Gidinji. Uh, but uh, it's easier to use the name Philip. Otherwise, uh, majority of us here might not be able to pronounce that name. Uh, it's a deep, deep African name. I was born in Africa, a country called Kenya that is uh, in East Africa, at the very border. Most Americans know Somalia more than Kenya for reasons best known to you. Uh, but we share a very long border with, uh, with Somalia, and uh, it's really what we call a porous you know, border with them. And uh, Kenya has suffered a lot of uh, terrorism uh, because of what happens with all the terrorist camps, the Al-Qaeda, and all those things that happen there. So it's... Uh, but I want to thank God that uh, we've enjoyed a long duration of peace uh, because the, I'm saying this because tomorrow is July 4th, isn't it? <laughs> uh, because we have our military, our military, the Kenyan military is in Somalia now uh, taking care of them so that they don't come in uh, to, to fight us. And uh, just recently uh, there was an announcement, is it a month ago, that the United States of America is going to send, you know, a military to Somalia. So that's where I was born, brought up. I grew up in a Christian family. Uh, my father was Anglican, uh, what you call, I think in the U.S. is Episcopalian Church. So, and uh, he was an ordained uh, lay canon uh, in, the, in the Anglican Church. Uh, but I just got tired of church every day of uh, Christians visiting the house every day. There was nothing as boring as that. Uh, We didn't have our our privacy as a family because there were always people in the living room singing, sitting down, and uh, we were restricted to to our bedrooms and uh, kitchen, bedroom, kitchen, bedroom. And uh, church was compulsory. There was no debate about it. You just had to go to church. My dad didn't care if you went to sleep in church. But you just had to be in church, so you know, we grew up that way. So I, all, I was looking forward to a time I would come out of the grip of my parents so that I, I would be a free man and do my own things. And after college, and I got a posting by the government to work down at the coastal part of Kenya near the Indian Ocean, which is predominantly Islam, I knew that I would become a Muslim. Uh, one thing I admired, their white, long robes, uh, and I mean, all that. And Interestingly, I did not become a Muslim. That's, at that point is when I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my personal savior, when I was amongst the Muslim community. And I like sharing this. This was out of the effort of a missionary, because when I went to high school, our high school had uh, 
a missionary chaplain. Kenya was colonized by the British, and that's why I'm wearing a tie today. Yeah. You, you asked me, that's why I'm in a tie today. Because going to school, all the years, all my high school years, I had to wear a necktie every single day. It was, it was a rule, it was compulsory, that uh, one had to be in a tie. So I love ties. Even the Neema Community Church, they all know me for wearing a tie. You know, they lonely. why are you in a tie? You know, <laughs> it's because this is the British, the, this is what the British left me with. Uh, when Kenya became independent, they left me the tie. And uh, this was our school tie for the seniors. And since I never became a senior, uh, I thank God that I could buy a tie of the seniors after I'd left school. So it makes me feel like a senior at school. And, uh, and uh, this missionary used to teach us a lot of bi the Bible, but I didn't, I didn't get what, anything that he said. I mean, as, as a teenager growing up, it doesn't make lots of sense. But one time I was listening to music, and the song was Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. It was at night. And I went down memory lane, and I remembered Reverend Johnson, the school chaplain, telling us to sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Boys, it was a boys only school, boarding school. Stand up and sing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. But that day, it came out so differently when I was listening to this song. Because I asked myself this question, is Jesus truly mine. And it was so clear that Jesus was not mine. I looked at my own life and I could not see Jesus in my life. The influence of Jesus. Putting my trust in Jesus. Just loving Jesus. And I was, you know, on my bed. My wife besides me. I stepped out of bed, went on, down on my knees and asked Jesus to save me. And that was Friday the 26th of December, 1993. I still remember. So that's how I came to know the Lord. And uh, the Lord thereafter called me to ministry. I went to Bible school. And uh, to cut the long story short, I find myself in the United States of America. But I want to thank God for what I've heard here about your support for, for missions, uh, math is not very new to me. I had a friend who used to fly those planes, living in Kenya, flying to Battle Town, South Sudan. Would fly there and fly back to Nairobi. And uh, I've also heard of Waiwam, uh, the camps in Kenya, and my sister-in-law used to be in Waiwam. Uh, I know quite a number of people who, whose lives have been impacted by Waiwam. So. I feel really at home when I hear you mention all these and uh, missionaries. And I thank God because of the influence and the impact missionaries had on my life. I thank God for them. And especially the American missionaries that I got to know and uh, introduced me to the Baptist Church. So that is who Philip is. And Philip is a caregiver. Uh, he told me to talk about who I am. I do caregiving and I love doing my work. And uh, it's out of the caregiving that I landed, you know, what has happened in my work 
the previous weeks, two weeks, is what led me to my sermon of the day. Because I have gone through battles, and the battle is that I have taken care of this one person for a whole year. It's going, it was going to be a whole year in July. And uh, somehow I, we got to bond. We got to bond so much. To a point, I would, look, I would look at him like he's my own dad. You know, his wife was like my own mother. And then uh, two weeks ago, he passed on. So it was really painful for me, very, very painful just to see him go. And uh, you can imagine one year, every morning I would drive to his house, 12 hours, 8 to 8, I'm with this man. So, and I love this man. I love this man. But uh, life is like that. You get to a point where you have to, you know, close down the curtains and uh, everything comes to an end. It's the reality of life. Uh, and then I got a new job, which uh, I'm doing for just a few hours of the day. Got a new client. I was referred to by uh, this family that I was taking care of. Uh, I'm taking care of a client. I'm not going to mention his name because I am almost 100% sure that uh, probably half of you in this church know him. So I'll not mention his name. I'm not allowed to uh, because of the, you know, his right. He has a right to, of privacy. So I'm not, going to, I'm not going to mention who it is. But I thank God for just opening that door and uh, just to get to know that this man who is a celebrity of Seattle, knows the Lord Jesus Christ as his personal savior when I met him last week. Very, very interesting. He was interested to know what I'm going to share with you today. So that is what life is all about. First Kings chapter 20, verse 22 to 29. Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself and observe and see what you have to do. For at the turn of the year, the king of Aram will come up against you. Now, the servants of the king of Aram say to him, Their gods are gods of the mountains, therefore they were stronger than we. But rather, let us fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. Than they. Do this thing, remove the kings, each from his place, and put captains in their place. And master an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot, then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And they listened to their voice and did so. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mastered the Arameans and went up to Afik to fight against Israel. The sons of Israel were mastered and were provisioned and went to meet them. And the sons of Israel come to before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Arameans filled the country. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God, is a God of the mountains, but he is not a God of the valley. Therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I'm the Lord. So they camped one over against the other seven, seven days, and on the seventh day the battle was joined, and the sons of Israel killed 
of the Arameans, 100,000 foot soldiers in one day. Let us pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word. How, Lord, we pray that uh, you're going to illuminate your word, you're going to speak to us, uh, Lord God, that uh, this word is going to encourage us even when we find ourselves deep in the valleys of life. And may all this bring praise and glory to your name. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yes, uh, I'm sorry for those of you who might not understand my English. I remember I was preaching somewhere in a church in Ohio. And at the end of the service, this lady came to see me and asked me, when did you, when did you learn to speak English? And I told her, and then she told me, oh, that was good because at least I understood a little bit of your sermon today. So, <laughs> and I had spoken all the English that I knew. So I had even tried throwing in American, American English and everything. And then she told me, at least I got something little. <laughs> I was like, I'm glad she got something. I pray that you get something little today. Amen. <laughs> that you don't come out of this place with nothing. So this is, you know, we are talking about King Ahab. And you know, King Ahab was just a bad king in Israel. He was just a terrible guy. And you know his wife? His wife was not like, uh, he had a good wife, Jezebel. She was not a very good wife. So if you read the previous chapters, you meet a bad wife that this guy has. And you meet a guy, you know, who has led Israel into the worship of other gods. You know, Baal and uh, the, the groves and everything else. You know, clearly departing from the ways of the almighty God. Distracting them from the almighty God. The God who had saved them. God, you know, you remember the history of Israel. These guys have been in captivity for 430 years in, in Egypt. God has saved them out of this captivity. He has used his servant Moses. They have seen all the miracles the Lord performed right from the ten plagues, right from the opening of the Red Sea, all the battles they have fought, you know, uh, in this land, you know, all the great things that have happened, but yet they still have this evil king that has taken them astray. And then, you know, it makes you wonder when you read chapter 20. Chapter 20 is interesting in the fact that this king of Syria has other 32, you know, other smaller kings. I guess these are nations that are under him that he has, he has defeated in battle. And he takes these 32 other kings and goes into war against Israel. And he tells him that I want, I want you know, the things he's demanding for. He's even demanding that I'll take some of your children, I'll take some of your wives, I'll take some of your gold, I will take all this from you. And King Ahab, evil Ahab, says, Oh Lord, may it be so. But then he consoles the elders and they tell him, No, 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 no. Tell him we shall not do that. And he sends the message and tells him, No, no, no. We are not ready to do that uh, with you. And in fact, he sends like, he, he, he throws him a threat. Like, uh, don't count don't count your chicks before they hatch, you know. Yeah, it's, and, you know, he's, he's in this terribly bad place. And immediately after he has developed some backbone is when the prophet now makes an appearance. And the prophet tells him, the Lord 
is going to give you victory. And this is the way you are going into this battle. And he goes into this battle and he wins. But then the Assyrians, they sit down again and re-strategize. But you know he is warned, King Ahab is warned by the servant of God. That when it comes to the month of fall, the season of fall, these people will attack another t- a second time. So be prepared. So these guys prepare, this, uh, the Syrians, to attack them. And when they, are, when they are going to attack them, the strategy is, the dangerous assumption these people have is that these guys, we fought on the mountain. That's why they won this battle. It's because we are fighting up the mountain. Let us change everything. Let us change our strategy. If we fight in the valley, we will defeat them. And I want to tell you this. These Syrians are a picture of the devil. This is how Satan works. Satan attacks us Christians. He fights us. You know, First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, like, you know, the Satan, you know, like a roaring, be sober and watchful because your enemy does what? Like a roaring lion. What does he do? He moves all over the place. And I remember my teacher told me this. You can accuse the devil of everything in this world, but there is one thing you can never accuse him of. Laziness. He's not lazy. He's not lazy. He works day and night. He strategizes to attack the children of God, to attack you. So there is this dangerous assumption that they see this God of Israel, their perception of this God. He can only win up, I mean, up the mountain. He cannot win if you fight. He is not the God of the valleys. And I want to say this. The devil likes fighting with us when we are in the valley. He knows that we are very strong up the mountain. He knows we are very strong when you are excited about the things of God. He knows when we are busy in missions. We are happily busy in serving the Lord. When we have a a hallelujah in our hearts. When we are shouting glory to God. When we are, you know, in Nehemiah, 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 is it 8.10? Says that the joy of the Lord is my, it's up there, is my strength. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. For, do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. When we are happy. Are you guys happy? <laughs> are you happy? Yes. When we are happy, when you wear that smile, the devil is not, ha- is not happy. He says, no, no, no. I can't fight him now. He's where? When we are in our, you know, spiritual mountains, when you are in our spiritual highs up there, the devil does not want to attack. He says, you don't fight them now. No, you can't defeat them. They are happy. 
They're very happy. And sorry if I shout, you know, I, I'm used to name a community church. They'll tell you. And, uh, <laughs> at times I ask, why do we even wear these, these, these things? Because we really scream ourselves a horse. So the devil loves attacking when we are, he will not attack when we are up there. When we are joyful about the Lord. When you are busy serving the Lord. He knows we are strongest when serving the Lord. When we read our Bibles, we are strongest. When we are prayerful, we are strongest. When we fellowship, and that's the reason why we meet on Sundays, is to strengthen ourselves. We are like in a gas station. We are in Costco right now. We are filling our tanks so that this week we can do what? We can do miles, isn't it? That's why we are here. Do, do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren as is the manner of some. Do not forsake. Always come. Even when it's rough, when it's bad. You read the story of, uh, is it Charles Haddon Spurgeon? How did he come to know the Lord? It was a terribly bad Sunday. The pastor didn't even come to church. It was bad. He sat at the back. And it was the deacon. Was it the deacon who was, who was preaching? He didn't have the sermon. So he opened. Was it Isaiah? And I cannot, is it 45 or something? He just decided to read the whole of it. He didn't even preach. He just read the whole of it. Do you want the Lord? Do you want the Lord? Do you want the Lord? And he reached him and he said, yes, I want him. And he got saved. It was as simple as that. Do not forsake the assembling together of the brethren. The devil wants to bring discouragement in our lives. There was a story about the devil took his wares to the market for sale. All the tools, he displayed them. So he was selling hatred, one of the tools, envy, jealousy, doubt, lying, and so on. And the guys came to buy the wares. You know, it was a market. They wanted to buy these tools from the devil. But there was one tool that was put at, at the side. And they asked him, hey, why, why, why is this tool uh, set apart from the rest? And why is it so highly priced? It's so expensive. He said, this is a special tool. Why is it special? And it looked, you know, worn out. Really used up. And then he was asked, why? Why is this worn out and uh, very expensive and set apart? He said, this is because this is the one that I use most. It's the most effective tool, more effective than all these tools. What's the name of this tool? He said, it's called discouragement. This is a tool that I use. And I use it in a very subtle way. And I use it, it's deep inside. They don't even know when I'm using it. But that's what I use most. And I want to tell you, without giving the devil credit, I know what discouragement does in my life. How harmful it can be in my life. And that's what the devil uses when he's fighting us. He uses discouragement. In fact, that day, for information, for those ones who want to know what happened on that market day, that tool was not bought. The devil went home with it and he continues to use it to this day. The t- don't assume it was bought so that he's not using it. He has it still. So he uses, you know, he uses discouragement 
in our lives. My brothers, my sisters, the Lord, the Lord God knows that when we are serving him, when we are enjoying, we are happy in him, we are strongest. Next, I was talking about the, danger, the dangerous assumption the devil had. That the devil thought that uh, when you're fighting up the mountain, you can't defeat him because our God is only a God of the mountain. He's never the God of the valleys. But then in verse 28, can you turn to verse 28? Verse 28, brother. Verse 28. A dynamic announcement is made here. Verse 28. Verse 28 is very interesting. Verse 28. Then a man of God came near and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the mountain, but he is not a God of the valleys. Therefore I will give you all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now... We are going, he's telling King Ahab, now that they are coming to fight you in the valley, I'm still going to give you victory because they have this, you know, they have, they have this wrong notion of who God is, this wrong perception. They think he's the God of the mountain. Now that you're going to fight in the valleys, I'm also going to give you victory. I want to announce to you today that even when we are deep in the valley, with God, there is victory. Amen. Even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what will happen? I will not fear evil. Because thou art with me. When the Lord is with me, even deep in the valleys, even when you are in, in sorrows, when all the bad things happen in your life, and the Lord is with you. Let me tell you, when God is with you, you are a majority. Every time. Amen. It does not matter. If you read the whole chapter, because you don't have time, they number the armies. How many against who? It does not matter the numbers as long as the Lord is on our side. We are guaranteed of victory. We are sure that we shall win. Because we are more than overcomers with Christ Jesus. When the Lord is with us, who can be against us? It does not matter the geographical location where you are. It does not matter whether you are in deep south of, of this country, up north. It does not matter whether you are in North Africa, whether you're in Russia, Ukraine, and everywhere else. And I believe even in Ukraine, God is at work amongst his people. When they are deep in the valley, God is with us. I remember one time going to preach. I went to the country called uh, Rwanda. I was in Rwanda. I went to DRC Congo, Democratic Republic of Congo. And we were the team. And, you know, we were seeing great victory. Great victory. We were seeing people coming to the Lord. And we were so excited. And then I received this phone call from my wife. That our son is sick. I said, okay, fine. We shall pray for him. So I told the team, let's pray for my son. So we prayed for him. Then the following day, my wife told me, the doctors have said that I take him back to the hospital. Oh, we shall continue praying for him. We continued praying, and we continued on with the mission. 
Then my wife told me he has been admitted in hospital. Oh, okay. We shall continue praying. I continued praying. Then my wife told me we've been transferred from this hospital to this other hospital because he's, he's serious now. I told him, we shall continue praying. And then now we started the road, uh, the road journey from Congo, Goma, all the way you cross over the country of Rwanda, cross the country of Uganda, and then you come to Kenya, and we're on this bus. It's a, it's a bus. Then we get to a city called Eldoret in Kenya. My wife tells me, he's so bad, he's in ICU, he's on oxygen and all this. Please, can you get out of that bus and get a faster vehicle? Then I'm wondering, in my country that would mean I come out of a moving vehicle headed towards home, I go and start looking for a faster vehicle, you know. Walk around looking, and that one is moving, you know. Here you, I was like, this is not adding up. So I got, uh, I did not come out. I just continued. I told her, no, my dear, just wait. I'll, I'll be there. So I landed. I, I mean, I arrived, and then I called her. She was not picking my calls because she had told me she was with my dad. I called my dad. And I asked my dad, so um, I've arrived, so where do I meet you people? Then my dad said, uh, you come to the morgue. Smog? The mortuary? So I'm like, what is he talking about? So I asked him, what are you saying? He told me, Philip, I mean exactly that. Come to the mortuary. And I knew what he meant. To this date, I still remember where I was standing when I received that information and I was devastated. They had to send someone to come and pick me from there, take me there. And I remembered and going there and all the things thereafter, comforting my wife, it was so difficult. I was deep in the valley. But let me tell you, God was still with me. You don't see God until you come out of it. <laughs> you don't see. You don't see the purposes of God until you come out of it. You even tend to think you're alone. The Lord was with me. So they go, to cut the long story short, even in the valley, God gives them victory. Let me say this. The big announcement, the divine announcement is that God is with you even in your worst moments. The God who was with you in your youthful age will be with you in your senior ages. The God who was with you when you're jobless will be with you when you get a job. The God who was with you when you're sick, he'll be with you in good health. He will never forsake you. He will never forget you. That is his promise to us. He will never forget us. Even when we forget him, you know, these people forgot God. The Israelites forgot him. They had a terribly bad king. But if you read Jeremiah 31.3, he says that I have loved you with an everlasting love. Mm -hmm. You can imagine. Even when we walk far away from him, he still loves us. Mm -hmm. There is no better love than the love of God. Mm -hmm. it, it, it has no conditions. He just loves us. That's so why he says, come to me. You that are weak and weary. Just, he wants us that way. It's not that we are good. We are not good at all. We are not good. 
We fail him every day. We fail him, but he still loves us. When he sees us, he sees us and he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. He sees the blood of his dear son and he loves us. He loves you. Don't allow yourself to be defeated because you're in the valley and think that you're alone. Don't. Even when the body feels so weak, he is with you. And he's so strong. You can imagine who is with you. How strong is our God? Just have the right perception. You know, the worst problems we have in this world is not the sicknesses that we get. It's what we think about those sicknesses. Our thoughts on the sickness contributes 90% of all the problems that we face. So can we change our thought system and start having a picture of this almighty God? I'm running short of time, but I want to say this as I conclude, that it's not just this dangerous assumption they had about God. They got this dynamic announcement from God. Who God is? That is a God, the God of the mountains, is the God of the valley, and I want to add, he is the God of the heavens, he is the God of the oceans, he is the God of the on land, he is God in the air, he is God everywhere with us. He is omniscient. He is omniscient. He is everywhere, omnipresent, everywhere at the same time. That is our God. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That is who our God is. But at times we look at who is powerful in this world and we look at people, countries, uh, armies, and their chariots. Let me tell you, the children of Israel, when they were leaving the Egypt, what did they think? Moses, where are you taking us? How do you take us and we get before us is this sea and on our sides are these mountains and behind us are, you know, Pharaoh's chosen Chariots. It's like Saddam Hussein's army. You know, it used to be called the, the Republican, what? Was it Republican something? Uh, revolutionary something crazy. And we used, to, we used to fear when we read about it. And we used to think when the Allied forces went, went there, the Gulf War, I used to follow that in 1990. And I was like, what's going to happen? Oh, I didn't know they would be wiped away by the Americans. So, you know, you fear them. Look at what God does. Moses raised that stuff. Just that. And the sea opens. It's dry land for them. They walk through it. And after that, the same water that the Lord saved them from is the same water that kills these Egyptians. That is who he is. He is our God. He will never forsake us. He is always there for us. It's a divine accomplishment that he fights for us. All we need to do is look unto Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus. In that sorrow, look up to Jesus. I tell my children, I'm your daddy, but you have your father in heaven. All I need to do is to direct the attention to Jesus. Not to me. Look unto Jesus. The author and the perfecter, the finisher of your faith. 
look unto him. Because he is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you think or ask according to his power that worketh in us. I'm going to read a short story. I know he wants me out of this pulpit as fast as I can. I know him. I know him. I know him. Uh, we used to be friends a long time. So, so let me read this story about this man. Uh, you know, this man loved uh, this Bible verse. First Peter chapter 5 verse 7. Casting all your cares upon him for he careth for you. For casting all your cares. And you know there is a corresponding verse in Psalm 55 verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Elisha A. Hoffman and I'm sure she must be knowing Elisha. Do you know him? I'm sure you know him. Elisha A. Hoffman loved these verses. He was born May the 7th, 1839 in Owigsburg, Pennsylvania. His father was a minister and Elisha was introduced to Christ at a young age. He attended Philadelphia public schools, studied science, then pursued the classics at Union Seminary of the Evangelical Association. He worked for 11 years with the association's publishing house in Cleveland, Ohio. Then following the death of his young wife, he returned to Pennsylvania and devoted 33 years to pastoring Benton Harbor Presbyterian Church. Hoffman's pastime was writing hymns. That's why I pointed at her. Writing hymns, many of which were inspired by pastoral incidents. One day, for example, while calling on the destitute of Lebanon, Pennsylvania, he met a woman whose depression seemed beyond cure. She opened her heart and poured on him her pent-up sorrows. Wringing her hands, she cried, what shall I do? Oh, what shall I do? Hoffman knew what she should do, for he had himself, he had himself learned the deeper lessons of God's comfort. He said to the woman, you cannot do better than to take all your sorrows to Jesus. You must tell Jesus. Suddenly, the lady's face light, light, uh, lighted up. Yes, she cried. That's it. I must tell Jesus. Her words echoed in Hoffman's ears. And he mulled them over as he returned home. He drew out his pen and started writing, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear my burdens alone. I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. I wanted us to sing that song today. Jesus can help me. Jesus alone. Hoffman lived to be 90, preaching the gospel Telling Jesus his burdens and giving the church such hymns as, What a Wonderful Savior. How many know that song? Songs like, Down at the Cross. Are you washed in the blood? You know, ah, I wish he was there. Now, now, do you know this song? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Elisha. Hoffman lost his wife. He went through all those problems. He learned that you can lean on his everlasting arms. And many others. I would have gone further to talk about Fanny J. Crosby. Blind from childhood. She did not want to see. 
And you know, what did she say? She said, oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world, I contented, I, I, contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't to weep and sigh because I am blind. I cannot and I won't weep and sigh because I am blind. What are you complaining about? Even in that valley, you're not alone. He is with you. Father, in the name of Jesus. I want to thank you because you're with us. Even in our happiest moments, you're with us. When we are up the mountain. When we are down the valley, you're with us. Even in our lowest moments. You still give us victory, Lord. When we have no strength. When we cannot... We don't have even the finances to see the best of the doctors. You can still give us healing. Lord God, I want to thank you for your faithfulness in our lives. How I pray in the name of Jesus. That Lord God, you are going to touch everyone present today. To see the need of acknowledging your presence in our lives. In our situations. And to always focus our eyes on you. May they be fixed on you. May we be dependent on you. And always, Lord, may we have a shout of hallelujah. May we have that joy in our hearts, O oh God. And may we be contented just to have you as our personal savior. Mm-hmm. Lord, I lift this church before you. May you continue blessing us. May you continue growing us in every sphere of life for your own praise and for your own glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www.silverlakebaptist.org.